So glad you're here today. Uh, in a few minutes, we're going to begin to look into God's Word at several different passages of Scripture. We're going to begin in Ephesians chapter 1 and look at just one verse there. So you can go ahead and turn there if you'd like. Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. We'll have the verses on the screen. We're beginning a new series today that's called The Walk. Simply The Walk. As a matter of fact, we're not only teaching on Sunday morning, we've developed a small group curriculum that we're going to be using in our small groups and homes and in different settings, following up the messages that we're teaching. And I'm really excited about this term of connect groups. When you came through the door last week and today, you got a flyer that explains all the different connect groups and shows you who's hosting and where they might be. I want to encourage you, find a connect group and get involved these next six weeks because we're going to be talking about on, on, in our home groups, our connect groups, we're going to be talking about what we're teaching on Sunday mornings. And so much growth is going to come out of this. You're going to have an opportunity to receive. You're also going to have an opportunity to give and share your relationship with God with others. Because this series, The Walk, is about being in relationship, walking through life with God. As a matter of fact, real Christianity, biblical Christianity, it's not about religion. It's about relationship, being in relationship with God. What it's really about is Christianity is about learning to walk with God. Now, if you would this morning, I want to start with a picture. I want, to want you to join me and get this picture in your mind. However you see it, think about Adam and Eve when God created mankind back in the Garden of Eden. God put Adam and Eve there in the garden, and Scripture tells us that God evidently would come down during the day and he would hang out and he would walk in the garden with Adam and Eve. And then after this relationship, we don't know for how long it was this way, but at some point in time, sin came into the picture and it interfered. It broke that relationship between God and man. A lot of people don't realize Jesus came to earth to restore that relationship between God and man. He didn't come to give us religious ideas. He came to bring us back into relationship with God where we can walk through life just as Adam and Eve walked with God. You and I can walk with God through life. And the beautiful thing is when you're in relationship with God, there are times you just sense God walking with you and there are times when you know you just need to walk with God and follow his path. And we create this relationship. We build this relationship. And the next six weeks, this series, The Walk, is about learning to grow that relationship, continue that relationship, so we keep walking with God and that relationship becomes more valuable, more important to us, and it shapes our lives. Now, in order to have that relationship, we need to have strong, sound, biblical teaching. But we need to understand God did not give us his word to bring us into bondage. God gave us his word to deliver us from bondage and set us free so we can walk through life with him. As a matter of fact, let me just say, I, I, I got to throw this in. During worship today, during that last song and during the transition time, you can just sense the presence of God so strong in the building. And I know some people say, well, I love to go to church because when I go to church, I sense God's presence. God wants you to understand that you can live every day of your life with the presence of God working in your life. And you can sense and know he is with you. That's what this series is all about. So when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
A lot of people ask the question, okay, I prayed the prayer, I asked him to come into my life, so what just happened to me? Well, maybe you received the Lord last Sunday or sometime this week. Or maybe you received the Lord four months ago or four years ago or 40 years ago. Oftentimes people ask the question and, and, and because we wonder exactly what all is God doing? What happens to us when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? When God comes into our life, literally, what happens to us? Well, let me give you two real quick answers in my introduction. First of all, Jesus one day told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Most of you have heard that expression, to be born again. What does it mean to be born again? Literally, to be born again means my spirit has come alive. I've experienced a spiritual birth, and suddenly I'm aware of God's presence working in my life. When we invite Jesus Christ into our lives, he moves in, he comes inside, and he makes us alive spiritually, and we become aware of God's presence, and suddenly we know that life is different because God is around and we're aware of him being around and we want him to be involved. So we continually invite him to be involved in our lives. But relationally speaking, we're talking about this series is about relationship with God. To be born again relationally, what does that mean? It means God has made my spirit come alive so I can walk with him and I can know him. A lot of people go through their whole lives trying to serve God, trying to figure out how to make God happy. And all God wants you to do is just get to know him. Because if God gets involved in your life, he'll change you from the inside out. So many people spend their entire Christian lives trying to change themselves on the outside and they never fix the problem because the answer is letting Jesus live on the inside. Be aware of his presence and he changes us from the inside out. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man is in Christ, he becomes a new creature. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, everything changes. Everything begins to change. Your future is different. Your eternity is different. Every decision you make can become different because God wants to be involved in all of your life. But we become new people. We have this new spirit life, this born-again experience. I've experienced a spiritual life. My spirit has come alive, and I recognize that everything's going to be different because I see the world differently, and I see eternity differently. I'm alive unto God because he's made me alive. So one of the answers when you say, well, what happened to me? Well, you've been born again. You're, you become spiritually alive. But, but the second part of this is you've experienced what Scripture calls salvation. Salvation. The Word of God tells us in Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that's not a work of yourself. It's not what you've earned or done. It's a gift that God has given to you. By grace you have been saved. The word salvation means saved. Saved from what? Saved from sin. Safe from death, safe from disease and sickness and poverty and all the things that the enemy tries to put on us to steal the life of God. God wants to save us and deliver us from those things. And if you study out the New Testament, that word salvation, it gets used in different forms in so many ways. But that word salvation, to be saved, 
means that God is at work not just in a one-time experience. See, some, some people are sitting there today saying, yeah, salvation, I experienced that 17 years ago. I had that happen back then. No, if you understand relationship with God, salvation is going on every day, every moment of my life because God is involved saving, saving, delivering, healing, making whole. Salvation is always at work in our lives, and God wants us to learn to walk with him and let that salvation, that saving work, just keep happening over and over and over again in our lives. Because we're experiencing the presence of God. And we're learning to walk with God. But it's interesting in those verses, by grace you've been saved. God extended grace to you. And by faith you've reached up and accepted it. And it's opened the door to a whole different way of living and seeing life. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him would not perish, would not die, would not lose everything, would not perish, but have everlasting life. And verse 17 of John 3 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Salvation. That we might experience salvation through Jesus Christ. So relationally speaking, what does that mean? It means that God has removed, God has removed the death sentence off of my life and I am now free to walk with him. Now in this message today, in the next few minutes, I'm going to talk about four words. That's all, four words for the next few minutes before I finish. And we're going to talk about what's happened to me. One of the things I've learned through the years is people struggle in their relationship with God because we don't learn to see ourselves as God sees us. I think it's the greatest struggle people have because our mind tells us one thing based on the past and we never learn to think and see ourselves the way God thinks and the way God sees us. And in this series, we're going to talk about a lot of things. We're going to have six major questions that we ask. But what's happened to me? Okay, I've been born again. I've experienced salvation. I've begun this relationship with God. Today, I want to give you four words that you don't hear used very much anywhere except in church. They're four doctrinal words, scriptural words, that if you understand these words and you let them begin to work in your heart, it will change the way you see God and it will change the way you see yourself and it will change your relationship with God. So let's dive into these four words today. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to look at verse number 7. Speaking of Jesus, it says, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption. Everybody say redemption. It's the first word we're going to look at. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And we're going to stop right there. In him we have redemption. You know, I, I tell this story now and then. I grew up in church. My furthest memories in life, my oldest memories, some of them go back to growing up in church. I date a lot of my life because when I was a kid growing up with my family, you know, life was about church and God, and, and God and church was life. That's all there was to it. We spent more time at church than anywhere except school and work. Outside of that, the priority of our life was walking with God, being in church. 
And I heard a lot of these words like redemption. And growing up, I never fully understood what it meant because, you know, we don't use the word redemption very much. Unless you're old enough to remember blue chip stamps and, and green, S&H green stamps, then you had redemption centers. Okay, so some of you understand that. Some of you don't. That's okay. I, I can tell which crowd I have in first service today, okay? But you understand what I'm talking about. But the word redemption is a unique word. It says in Christ we have redemption. We have redemption. The word redemption means to ransom, to pay a ransom. In Christ we have a payment for our ransom, a payment for our freedom. In Christ the payment for my sin is covered. I don't have to live my life paying for my sins. Sometime back, I had breakfast with a, with a friend, and, and we were talking, and he was talking about the fact that he's having to go through a lot of stuff in life to pay for past mistakes. And I listened to him for a while, and I said, you know what? You may have some things you're working through in your heart, but i got to give you some good news. You can never pay the price for your own sins. Jesus paid that on the cross. If he's forgiven you, you need to forgive yourself and move on. In Christ, we have redemption. Now, like I said, there's not very many places you hear the word redemption used much, but you hear it in church. You read it in Scripture. Every time you see the word redemption, you need to realize that means that God has ransomed me. He paid the price for my sins, and he's liberated me from my past. Now, one of the things I've done today, I asked the team to put the cross out on the stage. We put it out here from time to time on Sunday mornings. And I had him put the cross out there because I want to use it as an illustration today. Through the blood of Jesus, our sins have been paid for. Remember I mentioned Adam and Eve in the garden? They had this relationship with God where God would come down and they would just walk through life with God and it was amazing. When sin entered, everything changed because sin stood between God and man. And it broke that relationship. See, that's why God said, in the day that you sin, talking to Adam and Eve, in the day that you sin, you will surely die, die, is what it says in the original writings. Physically, that eternal life is gone, and you begin to be put on a countdown clock where your life will end. You will experience a physical death, but more importantly, when you sin, you experience spiritual death. On the cross, Jesus it says, Ephesians 1, 7, Jesus ransomed us with his own blood. He spilled his blood. He suffered our death. He gave himself to pay the price that you and I could be free from the penalty of our sins. That's what redemption means so relationally speaking what does it mean it means on the cross god himself paid the price therefore since he paid the price i need to listen to why he paid the price for me he paid the price so that you could be free to walk in relationship with him there's nothing everybody say nothing there's nothing that hasn't been paid for. There's nothing that's not canceled out by the cross. 
There's no price that hasn't already been paid. He's not asking you to pay the price for your sins. As a matter of fact, if you're trying to do that, you are living in religion because your own efforts will never pay the price for your sin. Jesus is the only one who could pay the price, and he did it 2,000 years ago, and you need to accept that price and realize, I have been redeemed. Redemption is mine because of the blood of Jesus. It's good. Simple, but it's good. And put Ephesians 1, 7 back on the screen for a minute because I want to show you the rest of the verse. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. How can God forgive us of our sins? Because he's already paid for it. Jesus lived a sinless life. He became the substitute. And instead of us dying for our sins, Jesus once and for all died for all the sins of mankind. And all God asks you to do is accept the fact that he paid the price for you. Quit trying to pay it. Quit trying to earn it. You can't do it. It's already been paid by Jesus. So enjoy the relationship. Enjoy the relationship. I'm so excited. I wish I could jump to next week already. But, but come back next week. I'm excited because next week we're going to talk about how God sees us even more and what God has called us into. My sins are paid for. I can be forgiven. Can I say one last thing before we go to number two? If your sins are forgiven, if God has forgiven you, it's time for you to forgive yourself. It's time for you to stop letting people pull up the past and hang it over your head. God doesn't have any record of it. He has chosen to forget about your sins and put it out of mind. He's chosen to remember them no more. So forgive yourself. And you know, Scripture says that Satan, one of his names is the accuser of the brethren. Every time you hear that voice reminding you of your past, that's not God. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's the devil. That's the old record in your mind playing those memories over and over and over again. If it's forgiven and under the blood of Jesus, you need to forgive yourself, quit listening to the enemy, and move on and keep walking with God. I told you I was going to number two. I am eventually. But one last thing. Jesus died on that cross. There were crosses on each side of him. One of the crosses held a thief who was guilty who recognized his guilt. Crying out on the cross, he looked at Jesus and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, this day, this day, not after you've done penance, not after you've found a way to pay for your own sins, Jesus said, this day you will be with me in paradise. God has called us to a life of paradise, living with him, having his presence, working in our lives. We need to accept redemption and move on and keep walking with God. Amen. Amen. Number two, look at Romans chapter 4. <clears throat> this is good. I'm going to get this CD. This is good. This is so good I may get this on cassette. That's how good it is. Romans chapter 4, look at verse number 25. Romans 4, verse 25. This also speaking of Jesus. It jumps in the middle of a thought, but let's look at it. Speaking of Jesus, Jesus was delivered up because of our offenses. Now keep that verse right there. Jesus went to the cross not for his sins. He went to the cross because of our sins. Whose sins did Jesus die for? Who's included in our? 
O-U-R. That's you and the person next to you and the person next to them and everybody in this building. We, we mentioned John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, God loves all of us, but God loves each of us. And each of us have to accept that forgiveness. Look at this. Jesus was delivered up, put on the cross because of our offenses, and he was raised from the dead because of or for our justification. Now, let me explain this to you. The second word is the word justification. We don't use that word a whole lot. We know what it means to justify something, or we, we sort of do. Society is always playing with the word justice. We kind of know what it means to justify. We know what is just. But the second word is the word justification. Jesus was raised from the dead because of our justification. What does that mean? That means that when Jesus died, God accepted the sacrifice that he paid for our sins. Had Jesus not been sinless, blameless, had he not fulfilled the Old Testament type and been spotless, that lamb that died would never have been raised. But because Jesus was guiltless, sinless, spotless, God raised him from the dead. And when he raised him from the dead, what did that mean? It meant he was not only the son of God. Listen closely. I mean, Easter Sunday is coming up in a few weeks. We're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus did not just mean that he was the son of God. It meant the sacrifice that he paid on the cross for our sins was accepted. And God said, I will now justify everybody who believes on Jesus. That's good. But let me, let me take you to the good part. See, some of you already know this. That's why you're clapping. If you don't know it, you're going to clap in a minute here too. Here's why. The word justification means it's just as if you never sinned. To justify in the sight of God means to make it just as if you never sinned. You see, God looks on us and God does one of two things. He judges us or he shows mercy. He sees sin, he judges sin. He sees purity, he shows mercy. Get this, God looks upon you and upon me, and because we've said yes to Jesus, he sees us just as if we never sinned. Now, let me, let me stretch that for the person who hasn't got it yet. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, even if you're still trying to figure out what this is about, let me tell you how God sees you. God sees you just as if you've never Not yes, you. Well, you don't know. Yeah, I don't know, but God does. And He chose to forgive it. Jesus ransomed you. He's forgiven it. And now He's justified you. And He looks at you and He says, It's just as if you've never sinned. That's how God sees you. And it's interesting. Romans 5 1 says, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know why we have peace today? Because Jesus paid the price for our peace. You know what peace is? Peace, listen closely. This is good. This is such good teaching. Peace begins when you can stand in the presence of God and have no fear of your sin. When you can stand in the presence of God and carry no guilt for your past, that's where peace begins. Do you know what the, the opposite of peace is? It's fear. 
The first time you see fear mentioned in the Bible is when Adam and Eve sinned and when God came down and they heard God moving through the garden, what did they do? They ran to hide. And, and God says, Adam, where are you? It's not like God didn't know. He's like playing, you know, with your kids. Where are you? Playing a little hide and go seek. Where are you, Adam? And God's thinking, I know you're under that bush over there. Where are you, Adam? He wasn't trying to get Adam to tell him where he was. He was trying to get Adam to figure out where he was. And Adam said, I was afraid. Why were you afraid? Because sin brings fear into our lives because it destroys our peace. Peace begins when you can stand in the presence of God and fear and, and, and feel no condemnation for sin, not be afraid of God. And here's the thing. Once you've made peace with God, see, Jesus made the peace for you. All you have to do is accept it and believe it. Once you've made peace with God, it then opens up your life to have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Well, if God's not going to hold that against me, if he loves me enough to do that for me, how much more will God do? Romans 8 says that he loved us so much that he will now freely give us all things. If he paid that price, what other thing would he withhold from us? Nothing. Nothing. And it brings us into a relationship of peace. Relationally speaking, it means in God's sight, there is no record of my past. There is no record of my mistakes, no record of my sin. And bigger yet, I don't have to be afraid of God anymore. I'm now free to walk with him. I'm now free to walk. Think about it. He paid the price for you to be free. He did all the work and he said, all I want you to do is accept this. So then you can walk with God wants you to be justified. He wants you to know in your own mind. He wants you to see yourself as being justified in the sight of God. And now you're free to walk with God. God has chosen to remember my sins no more. How many of you still remember some of the mistakes you've made in days gone by? Some of you say, yeah, you don't know what happened yesterday. You know what? Give it to God. Put it under the blood of Jesus. We'll talk about that more at the end of the service today. Put it under the blood of Jesus and just keep on going. Keep walking with God. Number three, look at 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. So what do we know so far? We're, we've experienced redemption. He's paid our ransom. He's paid the price. He has now justified us and we have peace with God because we, our sins are forgiven. We know God and we walk with God. So number three, look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 21. For he made him who knew no sin. Now, I'm going to walk through this. He, God, made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of of God in him. Now, I'm going to keep that verse on the screen because I'm going to walk through it here again in just a moment. The third word is the word righteous. Unless you're still living in the 60s and early 70s, you just don't use the word righteous much anymore except at church. But here's the thing. I talk with people, all kinds of people, all different walks of life. Many Christians struggle with the concept that because of Jesus, they are righteous. 
Oh, only God is righteous. Let's walk through this verse. What does it say? God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. Remember when Jesus hung on that cross, if you read it in Scripture? Remember how there in his weak and broken moment, emotionally drained, physically his life is slipping away? Remember what Jesus did? He looked to the Father. When the Father looked on the Son, he, Scripture says he turned his head away. And Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mentioned it earlier. When God looks on sin, he does one of two things. He judges or he shows mercy. In order to show mercy to you and me, he judged his son for our sins. Now stay with me. God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, on the cross, he made him become sin for us. He put all of our debt, all of our mistake, all of our sin, even the mistakes you're going to make this week, he put them on Jesus on the cross. He made him who knew no sin become sin for us. Many years ago, uh, when we were in the process of preparing to build this building, one day the, the phone rang in my office and somebody had called the church and they said, they need to talk to a pastor. It's, it's about a, a, a spiritual issue. So I said, okay, I'll take it. So I picked up the phone. I said, how can I help you? And a young man says to me, and you know, this doesn't happen often, but it happens now and then. Young man said to me, you know, I'm a Bible school student, so I'm checking out all the church websites in town so I can call and correct you on your theology. And I, I just wanted you to know that you all are saying on your website that Jesus was made sin for us. Where in the world do you get that? And I said, well, you got your Bible there? Yeah. Well, open it up to 2 Corinthians 5.21. And he opens it up, looks at it, and says, huh, I never saw that verse before. The only way you can be free from your sins is to know it's paid for. That's redemption. To know you've been forgiven and justified in the sight of God. Then we walk into this third place. He, who made, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we. Everybody say we. That's talking about all those who receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are righteous. That's right. Even youth pastors, you are righteous. It's a, it's a stretch for some of us to see, but God sees it. You are righteous. Now, what does it mean to be righteous? Literally, it means to be right, to be innocent, to be holy. Look at somebody and say, you're holy. I know what you say. Well, my mind says I am quite, not quite there yet. Yes, you are. That's how God sees you. He sees you based on the price he paid for you. He sees you free of the things he put on Jesus. We see ourselves in bondage of our past. God sees us free from the past as he sees Jesus. And God says you need to start seeing yourself as right, righteous, innocent, holy, because in my sight, you are. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. In what he did on the cross, I'm released from my sins. See, it's not like God says, okay, if you're a good little boy, then I'm going to leave this stuff over here, but I got this cloud, and you mess up, and I'm going to pull it right back over your head again. It's not what God does. We're the righteousness of God in Christ. You know, I say this all the time, and I think, 
if you come to church regularly, you may get tired of hearing this, but I'm going to keep saying it until everybody who comes to these doors gets it. When Jesus died on the cross and when we believed on what he did, a great exchange takes place. Everything wrong with us was put on him so that everything right, righteous about him could be put on us. We need to accept that exchange. Let me tell you something. If you're running around struggling with your, struggling with your past, you need to stop it right now because God sees you as right, as righteous, as innocent, holy, and free. You need to see yourself that way and just keep walking with God knowing I'm going to keep growing and becoming everything God wants me to be. We're right. We're holy in the sight of God. One last thing before I go to the last point. You. Well, I just received Jesus last week, or I just recommitted my life the other day. You will never be more righteous than you are the minute Jesus Christ comes into your life. In the sight of God, you'll never be more righteous. See, we're, we, sometimes we get caught in this thing of works. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't live godly lives. Of course we should. We get caught in this thing. Well, I've got to do this, 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 this for God to be happy with me. God sees you as he sees Jesus. You will never be more righteous than you are right now. You will never be more righteous than you were the moment you accepted Jesus Christ in your life. Well, I'm still struggling with some stuff, but God sees you as righteous, holy, innocent. Accept that and keep walking with God. Last word. Look, if you would, at... 1 Thessalonians 5, and I'm not sure I had this in my notes on, on the screen. If I didn't, let's see if we can pull it up. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24. Let's read it together while they're working on that. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he also will do it. The fourth word is the word sanctification. Well, that's definitely a word we, we don't use much outside of Christ. What does it mean, sanctification? What does it mean to sanctify something? The word sanctify simply means to set something apart, to set something apart. It's like you're going through a bunch of coins and you come across some old coins and you pull them apart and you set them aside from the rest because they're more valuable and you want to hang on to them. It's like you're going through things and well, these, are, these things here, they're white and these things are blue and these things are red and you're putting things in bags according to the color. You're setting things apart for whatever purpose it might be. But this passage of Scripture and throughout the New Testament, and we even see it in the Old Testament with the nation of Israel, God has always determined to have his people. Boy, like I said, I'm excited about next week getting into really the depths of this. God has always been excited about having his own precious people, his prized possession. And what happens is when we say yes to God at that moment, not only does he do all the things we've already talked about, 
The redemption has been paid, yes indeed. I am forgiven, yes indeed. I am free to walk with God. All of that is true. I am now holy in the sight of God. I am righteous. That's all true. But God has also set us apart, set us in his family, set us in his church for his eternal purposes. We preached five or six Sundays about God's purpose for our lives. We've done a whole series about it. Seriously? Seriously? Absolutely. What it says is God is able to set us apart and give us this new life for his purposes. See, the reason I want you to learn to walk with God is because if you start walking with God, your whole life will change. And it'll change for the better. You'll see amazing things happen. You'll see amazing miracles. You'll see amazing provision. You'll see God lead you in right paths instead of wrong paths. Everything will change when Jesus comes into your life. But you have to understand, when you accept Jesus, he didn't save you to leave you where you were. He saved you to make something better of you, to change you from the inside out. He saved you to give you a life of purpose, a life worth living. And you know, when you you look at the word sanctify or sanctification, that last word, to set something apart, to sanctify it or sanctification, it's something God does by his spirit and it's something he does by his word. But it's really, there's really two parts to it. When Jesus Christ is accepted as the Lord of our lives, God immediately sets us apart in his family, in his church, for his eternal purposes. But then his spirit goes to work, not only setting us apart and sealing us, he goes to work changing us from the inside out. He gives us his word as a map to follow, to walk with him through life. And he shows us who God is and what God is and what God wants to do. And so, first of all, the the first part of the process, immediately he sets us apart. But then he begins to work in our lives so that our lives change and our lives begin to line up with what his word says about us. And if you learn his word and understand his word and accept his word, We're conformed into the image of Christ. Our lives change as his spirit works from the inside out. God has, relationally speaking, God has set me apart so I can walk with him into the plans he has for my life. All those years that the enemy led me astray, they're gone. And God is now working for me to become everything he created me to be now and throughout eternity. Which brings us really down to the very last thing today. We need to stop running from God. Boy, we make mistakes in almost every one of us. What do we do? We run from God. We stop. We stop walking. We run away and we think, well, I'm not worthy anymore. I'm not this. I'm not that. You have to remember what Jesus did that's made us worthy. And we have to understand we stay under that covering because of what he did, not what we've done. And we need to stop running from God. In closing this morning, there's a response that God wants from us. You know, it's not like, okay, okay, God wants me to walk with him, fine. You know, whatever God does is fine. No, God wants us 
to intentionally welcome him and learn to walk with him. Throughout scripture, especially the New Testament, you see the word repentance. Repentance isn't just about crying tears and saying I'm sorry. Repentance means a change of heart that causes a change of lifestyle. It means I've been walking down this path, I realize it's wrong, now I'm going to walk on this path because this is God's path for my life. We begin to walk on the right path. One of the things I've learned through the years that I wish I had learned young, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John wrote that to the church because he wanted us to know there are going to be times when you make mistakes but your mistakes don't separate you from God. The only thing that separates you from God is when you start running away from God and you rebel against God. We as believers need to stop running from God. We need to stop running from God and we need to learn to run to God with everything that happens in life because God wants us to walk with him God wants us to walk with him he wants you to walk with him he wants you to know him as we close this morning maybe you're here Maybe you've never really prayed that prayer and you know, I've heard a lot about religion, I've heard about Jesus and all this stuff, but maybe today's the first time you've ever really heard what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago for you. Maybe this is the first time anybody's really explained it to you. You know, we don't do it every single Sunday, but maybe it's the first time you've really understood this and you realize, wow, does, does God really love me that much? Yes, he does. Right now, I know in this building, God is knocking on the door of some people's hearts who've never accepted him never welcomed him in and you say well I don't want religion I don't want you to have religion I want you to have a relationship with God that changes you from the inside out and this is a place where you can walk with God and learn his ways and have no condemnation from people we're not a religious place we're a place that believes in relationship with God there's also some people here today you've made some mistakes and your relationship with God's gotten really complicated and you've stopped talking you've kind of run away from him it's time to stop running from God and it's time to come back and say God I'm sorry I want to get back on the right path I want to turn from my errors I want to walk with you I want to pray for you today and I want you to pray with me everybody in the house I want to ask everybody to pray this prayer just open your heart to God just bow your heads and wrap your words of faith wrap these words let, let it become your words what's in your heart pray this prayer with me say God I need you and I open my heart to you please come into my life fill up all of my life with your presence I accept Jesus his death was payment for my sins Jesus is now my savior I ask Jesus to become the Lord of my life. God, I want to know you. I want you to be my father. And I want to be your child. So I'll follow you. Help me walk with you. Help me learn your ways. From this moment forward, everything changes. I'm not who I used to be. I am now saved. I am now in relationship with you. 
I'm your child forever. Thank you for loving me and calling me and receiving me. In Jesus' name, live in me. Amen. 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 Wow, how many have really had God speak to you today through his word? It's been pretty clear, hasn't it? If, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, we want to give you a tool to help you get started walking with God. We've got a little booklet called The Next Seven Days. It's just a little bit of reading for each of the next